in this place. We love you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you today for your presence in this place. We thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We thank you that it's not a situation, circumstance in our lives that can ever come between us. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful grace, your mercy. We thank you for the love, the steadfast love of the Lord. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great, oh great, is your faithfulness to us, Lord. And when we are faithless, you are faithful. That's right, you are so faithful. And Lord, we just want to thank you again today as we've sung. As we've been together, as we have declared together your goodness in our lives. Lord, we mean it from the bottom of our heart. We deeply love you. We deeply appreciate what you've done. And it's impossible to describe your goodness. It's impossible to describe this love that breaks into every situation and every area of our lives. But Lord, we just want to thank you for it. All we can but do is gaze on your beauty, worship you in your holiness, and thank you for your wonderful goodness and grace that is there for us at every point of our lives. We want to thank you for it. And all God's people said, Amen. Fantastic. Let's give our musos a big, massive shout. Let's thank them today. And isn't it great to have Pastor Ray with us? Come on, let's give Pastor Ray a big shout. Absolutely fantastic. And you know what? It's wonderful to have people in our lives, isn't it? That believe in us when we're just at a dead-end place. And um, years ago, I remember going into Pastor Ray's office, and I was in great need, you know. And uh, he poured into my life. He believed in me, and uh, this church, along with Pastor Ray, sent me to Bible school. I remember phoning Pastor Ray from um, Johannesburg, two months in. I said, oh, he said, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm doing all right, Ray. I'm feeling a bit homesick. And this was the advice of a good pastor, right? He said, don't worry. He said, you'll find a girlfriend soon. Well, I didn't find a girlfriend. I found my wife here. But you know what? Do you know what? Pastor Ray has always been an inspiration and a joy to many of us, hasn't he? When we've been down, when we've been out, when we've been in our darkest moments, God's servant has come and planted into our hearts. And much of the fruit that we have in our lives today is because of the sower and the seed that, and, and the sower didn't despise the soil that he was sowing into. So, Pastor, we want to honor you today and thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you can stand up and honor God's servant. Fantastic. Come on, let's give him a big... He has been over this last past year, he's been over this last past year 
literally in many nations of the world, winning tens of thousands, tens of thousands of people to Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful gift. Do you know, the devil hates the evangelist. He hates the evangelist. He hates all of the gifts, right? And the, but the apostolic gift and the, the evangelistic gift that Pastor Ray has, he hates it with a passion. Why? Because it produces great fruit in the fields of the world, in the, in the nation, and it, it has such a powerful impact in taking the church forward. So we've got to pray for Pastor Ray as he goes out into the harvest field and reaps, reaps souls for Christ. We must pray. So, Pastor, we want to honor you this morning. And thank you for being here. Wonderful. Well, this morning I'm going to read to you from Psalm 34 in a moment. And it's an amazing psalm written by David. And really that shouldn't surprise us because David wrote many, many psalms. Probably over a hundred psalms David authored in different periods of his life. And, you know, when you read the, the book of Psalms, it's, it's an amazing experience because it seems to cover every aspect of life, every area, every emotion seems to go through this man as he records life in his Psalms. He records about the circumstances that he faces in life, in daily challenge. He talks about the most intimate, highest moments of his life in God's presence where he finds such beauty and security and wholeness and peace. He declares that God is his refuge and strength, a strong tower that he can run into. What a relationship this man had with God. The psalmist David describes all of these beautiful things about God and about life, but he takes us also very honestly into some of the darkest moments of his experience as he journeys through life. And Psalm 34 is an incredible psalm as we will see. But what's amazing about this psalm is not necessarily that David wrote it because he wrote many psalms. But when he wrote it, it's not necessarily who wrote it that makes it significant, although it is significant because he wrote it, but it's when he wrote it. When did David write this psalm? When you read through it, you might think, well, you know, maybe David wrote these incredible words when he was strong. Maybe you'd think, when you read this psalm and you, you examine the content, you would think that David wrote this word when he was ascending into the heights of God's presence. Maybe you'd think that David wrote this psalm, Psalm 34, and the words just after defeating Goliath. David was the giant slayer, just a kid from the backside of the wilderness looking after sheep. And the, the armies of Israel and Philistine were at a standstill for 40 days and 40 nights. Goliath came out onto the field and challenged God's people. And they would rock up there full of faith for a few moments. And then Goliath would come down and he would defy the armies of God. And you know, it was a pitiful sight. The armies of God would run away. 
The armies of God would run in fear. Men in their tens of thousands, all dressed for battle. What a sight to see God's people, God's army, running away in fear at the taunts of an aggressive giant Goliath. And David takes some lunch for his brothers. And on that day, he comes and he hears the growl of this man challenging God's people. And David can't hold it. He's only young, but he can't keep it down. He says, who is this ugly giant that has no covenant with God? How dare he defy God's people? How dare he stand toe-to-toe with God's children? The redeemed of the Lord, the chosen people of God, those that have been separated and called and sanctified and chosen as holy. How dare this man? And his brother, his oldest brother, Eliab, began to mock David and ridicule him. Who do you think you are? You're just a boy looking after, after sheep. And who did you leave the sheep with anyway? But David had a word burning in his heart. God had been doing things in David in the hidden times of his life, out in the fields where nobody could see him but God. God had been raising this young man up, putting fire in him, and suddenly the word gets to Saul, and he hears about it. And David convinces Saul, the king, who God had rejected, that he was the man to take on this giant. Saul puts his armor on him. David can't wear it. He can't even walk in the stuff. And he got a little sling and some stones. But he wasn't even trusting in them. He was trusting in the name of the Lord. And he goes out onto the field of battle. And this giant begins to mock David. You're sending dogs out to me, he said. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever heard those words from the enemy? The, the accusations that, that come and get fired at you constantly, a constant barrage of accusation bringing up past things, hitting you from the left and from, from the right. And you, you, you're on show and you're, 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 you're being struck down. And the enemy's trying to take you out. And there's a barrage of fear that David has to face. There's a barrage of hatred and threat. And that's what the enemy does. He hasn't changed his tactics, church. Tries to belittle us. Tries to keep us down. Tries to put us under his heel. Tries to stop you praising God. Tries to stop you going forward. Tries to stop you being victorious. Tries to stop you believing the word that is all powerful and true that lives within you. That's what he did to David. And David said to him, right to his face, he declared to him, he said, I've not come to you with sword or spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Woo! In the name of the Lord. And I'm telling you, that giant stepped forward. He started cursing him even more. He said, I'm going to rip you from head to shoulder and limb to limb. And suddenly there's a, there's a stone that flies out of David's sling. Hits him on the forehead. This guy goes down. Then he takes his sword off, sword out and cuts his head off. Simple as that. 
And everybody in the Philistine camp flees in terror as one young man, empowered by the Spirit to do the work of God in his kingdom, triumphs victoriously over the enemy. Amazing. And in that scene, that environment of incredible victory, it would be easy to think that David wrote this psalm in such bliss. As he came through the streets, they began to sing about him. David, the kid from the backside of the wilderness, the shepherd boy, he's killed his tens of thousands. Saul, he's killed his thousands. Oh, but David, he was the new people's champion. He didn't want to be a champion. He didn't want any attention from people. He just was incensed by a giant trying to belittle and hold back the people of God. But now he was, he was catapulted into the limelight even though he didn't want it catapulted before the people and Saul is incensed and jealous that such a young kid would be so victorious that his faith would be so powerful and and demonstrative and and victorious and he begins to plan David's downfall as he hears about the tens of thousands that the people sing about regarding David in his victory. And he begins to give himself over to this awful insecurity and this awful jealousy and this awful envy. And he chases David out. David was run out of Saul's palace. Saul tried to murder him. Saul tried to do away with the very young man that God had used to deliver a nation. How incredible, how insane is that? The man, the young man that, that God had used so powerfully. David didn't want to be king. David just was happy to tend sheep in the backside of the wilderness. But now... He was public enemy number one in the nation that God had used him to deliver. In the nation that God had used him to bless. This psalm, Psalm 34, was not written when David was at the heights of victory. It wasn't written when David defeated giants, defeated Goliath established his kingdom. No, this psalm, Psalm 34, was written, and we're going to go there a little today and see the scene around David when this came out of his spirit to understand really the power of it. This was written in the darkest moment, the darkest time, the time where you would never want to sing a song. The time where everything is pressing against you. That's when this was written. And it was written by a young man. Still in his late teens, maybe early 20s. And when you begin to read the, 
the substance of what's in here, you begin to understand the deep character that this young man had even at a young age with God. He says this, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking defeat, deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, to their cries. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as them that have a contrite spirit many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all he guards all of his bones not one of them is broken evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust him shall be condemned. Let's give God praise before we get into this for his promises that he's declared over our lives. So David's on the run. Living from hand to mouth. He's gone from the extremes of knowing great favor, great promotion great eminence within the nation to the humiliation of being shamed and pushed out and rejected and exiled into the wilderness as he's leaving Jerusalem the city that he loved the people that he was passionate about on the run living from hand to mouth as he's leaving Saul and his army are hot on his heels trying to murder him, trying to take him out so that they can get rid of this little upstart that they had judged as proud and were fearful of. He's running for his life. And he gets to the wilderness and he's in that exile of experience, banished from his people 
for probably 24 months. We've all been through long seasons, haven't we? Where it seems as if there's a small glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. But the end of the tunnel seems so far away. Even though the glimmer of light seems so hopeful. Even though the glimmer of light seems to keep us walking forward. And gives, and gives us a sense of direction. Yet still, that light and that exit from that dark place is so far away. I think we could all go around the room and listen to each other's stories. Listen to each other's experience as to how we've gone through life and the experiences of life and face the surprises of life and the circumstances that sometimes come up like a jack-in-the-box and we've got no control of and we can't get a grip of them and we can't move on beyond them. And it seems as if one day goes into months and months goes into years. And it seems like hopeless. David was there. 24 months on the run. 24 months with pain and rejection and hurt. Not knowing where to turn or what to do or where to go. And all of these people started following him. People with similar hurts. Similar backgrounds, similar needs. They'd been disenfranchised by others. They'd felt the rejection of the communities that they'd lived in. And the Bible says that David began to gather and attract like-minded people that were facing the same hurt, the same pain, the, the same confusion. Paul said this. He said, the God of all comfort, comfort you. And with the comfort you receive, comfort others. You know, sometimes some of, the, some of the deepest pains that we go through are a means that God uses to be a comfort and a blessing to other people. And they'll be attracted to you. They'll be drawn to you. And maybe they will not know initially why you're the person that they're drawn to. But there's comfort within you that you've received from God. Enough comfort within you that supplied your need in your pain in your hurt that will supply their need and their pain. David attracting this band. They didn't have any suit of armor. They were a ragtag army. They weren't trained in the military might that was back there in Jerusalem. No, they were a band of wanderers, a band of nomads. But they were David's men. And these men became loyal to David. And these men began to do incredible exploits as God saw their unity and their, their relationship one with another. This psalm was written, an amazing psalm that we've read this morning and maybe looked at many times. This psalm was written in a dirty, dark cave. That's where it was written. 
That's where it was written. You see, some of the most precious things come out of the most dead-end places of life. Some of the most, some of the most wonderful places of life are found in the most darkest environments. And David is in a cave, a Dullam's cave. And he's there, hiding away. Saul and his army are marching and hunting for David up and down. And just before David had got to Adullam's cave, do you know what he did? He actually ran and made an appointment to see King Ambimelech. That was the Philistine king. You see, David had been so rejected and so hurt by his own nation. He'd been so let down by Saul. He thought, you know what? Maybe I could be of use to Ambimelech. Guess where Ambimelech was stationed? He had his palace in Gath. Guess who came from Gath? Goliath. What a circle. What a circle. But the sovereignty of God even allowed him to go there. And he goes into Gath. And, and suddenly, him and his men feel really insecure. Well, you would, wouldn't you? 24 months before, David had taken the head off the champion that they had sent out to defy Israel. And now, the young shepherd boy, the, the, the sheep tender, the one that nobody thought could do anything with his life, turns up in Gath before King Ambimelech. And he, he begins to want to ally himself, ally himself with Ambimelech. And suddenly they get, they, they get wind of everybody's in the room looking at them. What are you doing here? And the, it goes through the army. And uh, Ambimelech gets, has a conversation with his, with his chief in command. And people are not happy. People are very unrestful. And there's words and there's plans being devised. And David becomes really uncomfortable. And he realizes that he's in the wrong place. He's made the wrong decision. Just because he's been rejected. Just because he feels abandoned. And he needs some food and some sustenance. And a place where he can live. But he realizes suddenly that he's made a wrong choice. We've all done that. <laughs> And he begins to feign madness. He begins to act like a madman. He begins to spit over himself and talk all gibberish. And he, he comes out with this, this act to feign madness. And suddenly Ambimelech looks at him and he, he, he tells, tells his men to take him out of his presence. And God's hand, the mysterious movings of God's plan in his life, takes him from that place and he's back out into the wilderness. His, his alliance to, the, to King Saul has all been broken down. And, and his love for the nation, Israel, the holy city, Jerusalem, his loyalty to that, has all come crashing down, and even in enemy territory, they won't have him there. This is a man in no man's land. 
This is a man that's rejected. This is a man that has experience going through his soul. And it's as if everything of worth within his soul is being retracted and pulled apart. And everything's being tested. Where's your God now in this situation? What do you believe? And he's in the, he's in the cave because he runs from Gath and they find this cave. Maybe this is our new home. And he comes out with this. I mean, what would we have said? Would we have given up hope? I don't think we would have. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside us. And when we, when we give up hope, the Holy Spirit kicks in, man. He kicks in and he starts speaking through us. And he, we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Do you know what? If it was down to our strength, if it, if it was down to our determination, if it was down to our persistence, none of us would be in this room. I'm telling you, you've been here, you've, you've been coming here for years. Why? Because you've been upheld by the goodness and the grace of God that's got you up every morning and brought you here. How many times would we give up? We would. We'd give up. And he says, his men are looking at him. His men are watching him. His men need leadership because they've felt the rejection and they've been hunted like dogs from, from men that they would think that would be faithful to them. And he says, I will bless, boys. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Now, this is not a nice time. This is a really dark time. This is a time where we're feeling the fierce anger of people that we love, that people of people that we don't understand the actions of. But do you know what? We're going to bless the Lord at all times. And we are not going to allow any circumstance or any devil in hell to defeat us. We are not going to allow any circumstance of this life to stop us continually praising God. This is where he was at. This is what he was doing before his men. And you know what he was saying when he, when he said, I will, I will. He was putting the force of his spirit, the force of his life, the force of his conviction and his determination behind this declaration and this promise before God. I will bless the Lord. That word bless means I'll adore you. <laughs> I will adore you. I will adore you. In a world that's painful, in a world that's wicked, in a world that tries to hit me from left to right, in a world that causes me pain and injury on every front, I'm going to adore you in the midst of all of that. God loves that. God loves that. And I'll bow down 
That word means to adore. When he says, I will bless, it means to adore and it means to bow down. He said, I'm bowing down to you. I'm bowing down to you. I don't understand why it would seem as if your favor isn't with me. I don't understand why I just couldn't live contented and happy within Jerusalem. I did my best. I went out onto the field. I challenged Goliath on behalf of your people. I brought great victory. I don't understand what's happened as a result of that choice. But I will bow down. I will bow down. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of all the hardship, in spite of everything that confuses me, I will bow down and adore you. You know, I spoke to a lady this week. And she was telling me about years of depression that she had to go through. Years of pain. Years of constantly being bombarded by the enemy of her soul. Causing her to be depressed. And the enemy tried to wear her down, not for a few months, but years. Beating, hitting, striking her soul. And then the moment came. The moment of breaking point. The moment that the enemy waits for for years. The opportune time. He'll wait for years for that moment. He'll wait for years to get a person to a place of breaking. And one morning, while she lay on her bed, the whisper of the accuser came. This was the moment that he'd been waiting for. And this is what he said. Curse God. Behind those words were years of confusion. Behind those words, and that's why they were so powerful, were years of pain and rejection. Years of not understanding. Years of darkness. And the build-up of all of those years culminated in a moment. In that statement, curse God. Well, do you know what the lady said? No. That's all you need. No. Now, this is the amazing thing. As this lady was telling me about her history, she was crying with tears of joy, not sadness. Right? As she reflected about all of those years, she was crying with tears of joy. And she said, you know what? At that no, I started from that day forth until this to have complete victory, dominion, and triumph over all the works of the enemy that he'd previously done in my life. And now I've been free from all of that stuff for years. I'm telling you, man, God is wonderful. God is glorious. And David, in the lowest moments, in the hardest moment of his life, at breaking point, at the darkest moment, declares, boys, 
I will continually bless the Lord. I will continually bless him. I'm setting my sights on my future. It doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter what's ahead of me. It doesn't matter what circumstances I face. It doesn't matter if all of the people around me desert me. As, as, for, as for me, I have decided that I will bless the Lord. You look at the history of David and you, you, you look at the, the seasons of his life and what came to batter him and hit him from left to right. And this one statement defined him all the way throughout his life. Even at his lowest moments. He lifted his voice to the Lord in thankfulness. I will bless the Lord, he says. This wasn't written in a palace. It wasn't written in a place where David was victorious. It was written in the lowest, darkest moment of his life he said I'll not only bless the Lord in this time I'm actually going to boast I'm going to boast about his goodness I'm going to boast my, my soul is going to boast your soul is that place within you that experiences the whole gamut of life and it's emotions and, and, and the ups and the downs and the hurts and the misunderstandings and the confusions. It's that place where life very often tries to ravage. But David said, as far as my soul is concerned, it's going to make its boast in the Lord. It really is. What are the lessons? What is the message to us today? It could be sickness that's come against you year after year after year. I think of Mark in, in the wheelchair. And, and I remember saying to Mark, I've said this before, I remember saying to Mark one day, I said, Mark, I really do believe. It's easy for me to say. Easy for me to say. Mark, I believe Jesus is going to bring you out of that chair one day. And we believe that, don't we? We do. Do you know what he said to me? He said, die, I'm already out. You see his spirit? What's that? That's his soul boasting in the Lord. Boasting in the Lord despite his disability. Despite not knowing why. We've prayed many times. Believe God. Mark's prayed more than us all. Can't understand why the miracle power of God's Spirit hasn't raised him up from that chair yet. But that does not stop him boasting in the Lord. It really doesn't. Really doesn't. And some of us have carried burdens of sickness. And we believe that God is our healer, don't we? And we walk sometimes like Jacob with a limp. And life has struck us and life has hurt us. Or, or, you know, the disappointment and the anguish that we have about our children. They've made decisions and we, we look at it and we think, my God, was it my fault? Did I do wrong? And circumstance can come. But you know what? The fact that you're still serving Jesus, the fact that you're still loving your brothers and serving others and, and speaking good words to, to, to other people, even in the midst of your darkness and pain and hurt, 
is evidence that your boast is in him, is evidence that your lips continually praise him and you have a life that's pleasing to God. Today, this message, this word is there to encourage us that no matter what we're facing, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter how we're feeling, and God knows how we're feeling. He knows the low days and the low moments of our lives. He knows how the enemy tries to belittle us and estrange us from one another and God's presence. But let us declare with this young man, do you know what? I'm going to go into next week. The praises of God are going to continually be in my mouth. Not as a, you know, not, not doing it parrot fashion, not as some kind of robot, but oh, the quickening of the Holy Spirit, bringing realization to what Jesus has done for us, causes us to praise and thank and give honor to his name. Give honor and praise to his name. Let our boast be in the Lord. And then, I mean, I'm, I'll maybe come to this next week. In the midst of that, I'm going to ask some musicians to come. We're going to close just in a few minutes. But in the midst of all of that, all of that pain, all of that hurt, all of that confusion and misunderstanding and blackness, David says, Oh! Now this is, his, he's got 400 men with him, mind. They're looking to him, not knowing what to do or where to go or how to direct their thoughts or how to focus their desires. He says, oh, magnify with me the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name. You survey the circumstances around him. And it could have been that trouble and rejection and fear and lonely, loneliness and insecurity and abandonment would have wanted to have that exalted place in David's life. But he says, boys, we've got to do this together. We've got to do this together. And that's why being together is so important. We can battle scarred through a week. And, and, and we just do not know what's going to happen or what, what, what's going to go on. But we've got to come together. And like these band of men came together in a dirty black cave, hiding in humiliation, away from a man that was incensed and jealous and just wanted to attack and destroy. Come into that place, he says, boys, no musos. No lights, just really stripped back and raw. And that is what it's like for many of us every day of our lives. No music, no stage, no lights. It's just stripped back. And that's when it's most precious. Coming from a broken vessel 
Let's magnify. Maybe they held hands. Let's magnify the Lord. Would you do it with me right now? Maybe he says, would you do it with me? Let's, I tell you what, in the face of all these threats, in the face of all these fears, in the face of you seeing me feign madness before, I'm Bimelech, in the face of it all, in the face of this, this master plan of God's sovereignty worked out in our lives, in the face of it, let's exalt his name together. And they did, they did. It didn't bring immediate deliverance. David would go on, but he wouldn't harm that king that was against it. David, it didn't bring immediate, this wasn't a magic wand declaration that David made to his men. It was just a decision to focus his attention back on God when it seemed as if he was in a completely godless situation. Whatever it is that we're in, whatever place we find ourselves in, the devil, the accuser, people, circumstances cannot rob the people of God and the praises that come from their mouth. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your precious people. Lord, our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price, not with such things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, as I've simply given your word to encourage your people, whatever situation we find ourselves in, if it's fear, if it's depression, if it's loneliness, if it's insecurity, Lord, if it's, if it's the pain of rejection, if it's sickness and disease, Lord, I thank you. Like we've read this morning, your eyes are upon the righteous. Your ears are open to their prayers. And Lord, as we praise you, as we declare your goodness, as we make our boast in you, Lord, I pray that you would, you would come with your arms of love and envelop us, that fear would go, that depression would leave, that sickness and disease would be healed, Lord, and that your life and your power would come into our bodies and take away every sickness. There was not one sick among them when you delivered them from Egypt. Oh, may those days return, God. May those days return. May the church of God have a repetition of being a house of healing, a house of mercy, a house of grace, a house where all are accepted. May the church of God again, Lord, in this land, have a reputation, Lord, of being a place where the presence of God dwells in your people, your temples. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. And as we go out into our world this week, Lord, we pray that we would be ambassadors of this kingdom, ambassadors of this grace, ambassadors of this good news that our lives would become a bridge to others so that they may walk across into your goodness, into your love, into your mercy. And we thank you in the days and the years ahead. 
in this nation. We thank you, Lord. It is not going to be uh, the move of your spirit and the kingdom going forward. It's not going to be as a result of the work of our hand, but it is going to be as a result of your Holy Spirit descending in power upon your people. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, as we've read in years gone by. You're going you're gonna to incubate and you're going to land on and brood upon whole communities. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you today. It is not by might. It is not by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. And we bow, Holy Spirit, we bow to you. We bow and we honor you. We honor you. Jesus, you said, without me, you can do nothing. And Lord, we declare it. We can do nothing. We can do nothing without you. We don't want to do anything without you. We don't want to, we don't want to make a decision without you, Jesus. We don't want to think a thought without you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would arrest the passions of our heart. And Lord, all of our desires, Lord, would burn for you. That this church would burn for you. That this church would shout and praise and the voice of triumph, Lord. It would just erupt out of your people. God, I pray, Father, I pray that you would do something. You would, you would do something new in this place. You would do something new in our hearts. And it wouldn't just be in moments where we gather together, but Lord, I pray that you would meet us in our homes. You'd meet us, Lord, when we're out and about in life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your presence would wash. Your presence would come close. Your presence would envelop us and arrest us and enable us to do all of the things that glorify you. We ask it for your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, come on, let's stand to our feet and give him praise in this place. Come on, church. Let's sing, let's shout, let's give him praise in this place.